Thanks a lot. It's great to be here. Um, so um, I'm sure that in this class I've, I've missed a few classes. You have uh, talked about the history of computation, and usually uh, we are thinking in terms of Pascal's calculator, the looms of Zakhar, or the analytical engine. What I want to point out to you is that there is a different kind of prehistory that started a little later than those and uh, started in what is now called in the history of science the foundational crisis of mathematics uh, around the turn of the 20th century, the beginning of the 20th century. So here is what's going on. Uh, in uh, mathematics, in some sense, it is the search for absolute truth, for uh, uh, indisputable, irrefutable truth. So it, uh, it was a great shock to mathematicians that uh, uh, in the 19th century, things in mathematics started being a little wobbly. Uh, for example, in uh, the beginning of the 19th century, uh, several people came up with what is called the non-Euclidean geometry, sort of pointing out that the Euclid's axioms are not... Uh, uh, universally true that you can refute them and play with them and uh, do interesting mathematics uh, while doing that. Uh, then this really uh, caused uh, a lot of havoc and, and, uh, and insecurity among mathematicians. Uh, later on, and more significantly, Georg Cantor, a German mathematician, uh, Defined, started defined sets and set theory, and notice uh, that there, are, there is a whole bunch of uh, counterintuitive, confusing truths in mathematics having to do with the nature of infinity. Okay, we all know that in, infinity is uh, sort of uh, lots. Okay, but it turns out that uh, Cantor pointed out that there are many kinds of infinity. For example, there is a, the infinity of the integers: one, two, three, four, and so on. And then there is the infinity of the real numbers, which is a higher sort of level of infinity. And then there are even higher levels than that, and higher and higher there is sort of there is a hierarchy which is infinite and worse. And uh, this really confused the hell out of people. Uh, and uh, they were started disputing: is this mathematics, or is it magic, or theology? And uh, if it's not mathematics, then what exactly is mathematics? So there was. Uh, a lot of uh, discussion and, 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 and uh, 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 sort of uh, doubts about uh, the nature of mathematics. And at that time, at that point, sort of the turn of the century, in a mem memorable lecture he gave in Paris, the greatest mathematician of the time, David Hilbert, uh, sort of uh, signaled, you know, heralded a call to arms of mathematicians that uh, we must end this, we must get together and uh, found all of mathematics into very solid ground, like Euclid did for geometry, uh, and we can do it. So he's, uh, he was, uh, despite the, you know, sorry, in addition to being a great mathematician, he was also a very sort of optimistic man, uh, very uh, certain about uh, uh, man's ability to conquer all obstacles. So. Uh, uh, here is one of his uh, most famous pronouncements. We must know, we can know, we shall know. So he was, uh, he was uh, convinced that there, are no, there is no such thing as unsolvable problems. 
there is no, no such thing as impossibility, there is no thing, such thing as unknowable, and of course the century was uh, to refute him. Uh, and uh, uh, so what Hilbert, uh, what Hilbert uh, 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 sort of uh, called the mathematicians to do was uh, what I called Hilbert's quest. And in fact, there are two quests, if you sort of read carefully what Hilbert over the, over the, over the next three decades uh, uh, has said, has written. Uh, one of these uh, is sort of you know, the, more, the more obvious, uh, more mathematical one, to try to find an axiomatic system that uh, entails sort of mathematics. From this, every true, every, all mathematical true follows. And there is a second one which started creeping in from the 1900s on, that Hilbert was very ambitious. He wanted a machine that will automate mathematics, a machine that will, sub you will submit a mathematical statement and will tell you if it's a true theorem or not. Okay, so he was really utterly ambitious. Uh, and uh, so, and it turns out that uh, that uh, the first quest to find an axiomatic system implies the second quest. If we are able to do the first, then we will be able to do the second also. And the reason is that if we had the proof system that entails all of mathematics, then we could search methodically through all proofs and find the one that either proves or refutes our theorem. So, uh, in some sense, the first quest was the more ambitious one, and the second quest would follow, even though uh, when, this, uh, when this variance of the quest was stated, this implication was not clear or, I believe, known to Hilbert. So, Christos? Yes. Sorry, this is that. I was going to ask that. So, when, when was the, uh, the relationship between those two recognized? Uh, great question. Uh, it was recognized in 1929 when uh, Gödel proved his completeness theorem, his lesser-known theorem, uh, showing that, uh, that uh, uh, sort of first-order logic is complete. And this means that, uh, and this essentially means that we have all the logical means to turn an axiomatic system into an algorithm. And, uh, and uh, uh, so this implication became clear in uh, 1929. Thanks. Let me ask one other question, and then I'll sure. stop. Uh, to what extent at the time was Hilbert uh, understood by a few people, understood broadly, uh, resisted by people, embraced by people? Okay, uh, so, uh, fantastic question. So, you know, so, uh, so he, was, he was understood very broadly. He was, uh, everybody, all mathematicians were watching Hilbert, and what Hilbert wanted, uh, <coughs> Hilbert's project became everybody's project. Uh, he was uh, the, the head of a very important uh, school uh, in Germany. Uh, uh, all the great mathematicians of the time were essentially his, uh, his uh, pupils. Uh, uh, there were a lot of people who resisted his, uh, his, uh, his uh, quest. Uh, uh, chief, of, you know, the, the, perhaps uh, the most known of them was Poincaré, Henri Poincaré, the great, another, another great mathematician of the time. And uh, L.E.J. Brouwer, uh, you know, uh, who started a school, a contrary school called uh, Intuitionism. Uh, so there were a few mathematicians who, were, who resisted his, uh, his, uh, his uh, quest, but it's fair to say that, uh, that uh, his project 
uh, these two quests uh, had captured the imagination of nearly every mathematician of the time. So it was uh, uh, a, a great shock uh, when, uh, uh, in 1931, uh, Kurt Gödel, uh, a uh, young 25-year-old uh, uh, recent PhD, uh, proved the incompleteness theorem, some say the greatest theorem in mathematics, which says the following, that no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we come up with axiomatic systems, uh, that are uh, more and more descriptive and more and more powerful. There will always be true theorems that cannot be proved. In other words, mathematics will forever be incomplete. We will never be, we will never be able to have, uh, to have uh, a complete axiomatic system. There was a question? Yeah. So there are going, always going to be theorems that have no proof. In other words, the first, uh, the strongest form of, of, uh, of, uh, uh, the strongest form of uh, Hilbert's quest is impossible. Okay, that was uh, that was proved in 1931 by uh, Kurt Gödel. Uh, so uh, this is, of course, uh, the kind of theorem that uh, uh, you know goes way beyond mathematics. As I'm going to show, it, you know, as I'm going to argue, it had implications way beyond mathematics, and in some sense, it started uh, the, it started us on the road to computers. Uh, but also, it had uh, much influence. It's one of the most influential, most uh, well-known, best-known, most, I guess, uh, I guess, uh, 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 misunderstood also theorems uh, in the history of mathematics. Uh, it uh, sort of uh, it uh, it signals something significant about science, about about mathematics, about the 20th century. Okay, that there are limits that. Uh, that uh, <coughs> we can't do everything. Okay, Heisenberg's principle was already known. Uh, uh, Turing's uh, 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 unsolvability of the Halting problem was uh, only f six years uh, away. And uh, in some sense, this uh, this uh, uh, message of uh, of uh, human limits. Okay, the, the limits of the human intellect when uh, in trying to uh, attack problems. Became, became, uh, uh, sort of was uh, was uh, captured very well in this theorem. Was uh, was uh, 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 you know this theorem is, a, is, a, is is of course one of the great exemplars of this uh, of, the, of this issue. So in some sense, we find ourselves. This is the darkest point of the story. Uh, uh, for. Over 30 years, people have been trying to uh, do something. The whole mathematical community essentially was mobilized to achieve something. And uh, somebody came up and proved that this is impossible. So, as I said, this leaves a, a glimmer of hope. The strong part was proved by Gödel to be impossible. But this leaves the possibility that the weaker part, to find the machine that finds a proof for every theorem, this still was still alive. Okay, nobody had disproved this. Okay, what was disproved was uh, the logical, the axiomatic way of doing it. But uh, maybe there are other ways. And so it's not a coincidence, it's not a coincidence it's not, uh, that uh, some of the greatest, most brilliant mathematicians of the time uh, turn to this problem. Uh, can we find a machine that uh, finds a proof of every, for every theorem? And given the mood of the time, which was uh, one of shock and desperation because of, of Gödel's result, uh, 
I can imagine, in my opinion, nobody was actually trying to find the machine, okay? They were suspecting that even this is impossible, okay, as it turned out to be. So, uh, as I said, the, some of the greatest minds of that time uh, wanted to prove that finding a machine to, that proves those theorems is also impossible. And this, so, until then, they were trying to find a machine, okay? And uh, they did need the, they did feel the need to define what a machine is, okay? Think about it. If you are trying to find something, it's probably not uh, your, it's not, it's not your, your uh, uh, priority to define what you are trying to find. Why? Because you have the optimism, you have, the, you know, you hope, you have the hope that w once you find it, you'll be able to tell that you found it, okay? <laughs> but once you are embarking on this project of, of, of pro proving it impossible, immediately you st stop and think, wait a minute, what is a machine? What am I trying to show that doesn't exist? So it's the nature of the of impossibility uh, that makes you a little more careful, okay? Because... Uh, in order to establish impossibility, the only way to do it is sort of, you know, to completely chart all possibilities, okay? And then show that they don't exist, okay? That, that, it, that we are out of it. <coughs> is this clear? So that's, this is sort of, you know, a, 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 an interesting moment, sort of, you know, in terms of, in terms of philosophy of science, that uh, once they wanted to prove that the machine doesn't exist, they were compelled to try to de define what a machine is. And uh, define they did. And uh, there were uh, uh, the next, uh, the next uh, uh, six years were the years where uh, a lot of uh, mathematical machines were defined. One entry was by Emil Post. Uh, Emil Post is probably the most talented, brilliant of all these mathematicians I've been talking about even though he was, uh, he was a school teacher in New York occasionally, he had a teaching job at, at, uh, at, uh, at the City College. Uh, uh, he, uh, in 1921, 10 years before Gödel, he had uh, a variant, a version of Gödel's theorem, Gödel's incompleteness theorem, even though he never published it, he kept it in his drawer out of pathological insecurity. And when he learned about Gödel's theorem, he became Gödel's uh, most avid admirer, and, uh, and, uh, and quite very soon, in 1934, came up with uh, Post's machines, which is one of the great mathematical machines that were discovered in the 1930s. Uh, Alonzo Church was a professor at Princeton. He came up with something called the Lambda Calculus, which is another mechanical way of, 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 uh, of uh, doing computations. Uh, his student, Kline, Steve Kline, <coughs> came up with another formalism, something called uh, partial recursive functions. But most uh, importantly, most brilliantly, and most faithfully, it was Alan Turing uh, who came up with the Turing machine, uh, the, by far the most influential and most, uh, uh, you know, the, one, the model that had the most impact. Uh, so all these people, what they did, is uh, they defined machines and then they proved that Hilbert's second quest was impossible. Okay, that, that, that you cannot. But in doing this, what really, the most important contribution is defining these machines. 
And uh, at that time, defining what computation is, it was like sort of you know, a shot in the dark. I mean, imagine this, that all these people sort of closed their eyes and, and uh, shot a dart uh, in a dark room. And then they opened the light and noticed, this is sort of you know, one, of the, one of the important moments, that all these darts had landed on exactly the same point. Okay? Uh, in other words, they, they actually proved that all these, all these four machines had precisely the same computational capabilities. They were exactly the same machine. And immediately this, uh, I assume they stopped and said, wait a minute, this must be something important. Okay, that they became sure that they had defined something important, which was computation. Okay. And again, they did this starting from uh, trying to do something negative, something trying to prove that there is no machine that achieves something, in particular uh, Hilbert squares. I said that uh, Turing Sentry in this race was uh, uh, the most uh, important and faithful uh, because uh, Turing had uh, uh, a very important idea, a very powerful, crucial, and radical idea, uh, that of universal machine. Uh, what this, you know, what everybody else uh, defined were machines. So back then, what is computation? Computation is solving a problem. So for this particular problem, you think of your favorite computational problem, uh, we built a particular machine. Uh, Turing had a better idea. Uh, build a universal Turing machine. A universal machine. A, a, a machine which, given the right instructions, can do not just one task, but everything. Okay? The machines you have in front of you are such machines. Okay? Because uh, if you load up on them a piece of software, they can do anything that computers can do. Uh, that idea was not uh, universally uh, part of the pan uh, accepted at this time. For example, here I have a quotation from Howard Aiken, one of the very clever people who were thinking about computers at this time. And Howard Aiken, I'll let you read it, obviously believes that universality is crazy. <coughs> okay? And universality, if you think about it, is wasteful. If you are just interested in making ballistic calculations, okay, which was the, one of the great problems of the time, why would you like to, do, to have a machine that will do something else also? Okay? It was true that, uh, that the impetus for <coughs> computation, for computers, for actual computers in the 1930s and 40s, was for particular problems, cryptography, ballistics, things like that. And, uh, and these call for specialized machines. And this is what Howard Aikens, uh, 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 he was a professor of physics at Harvard, Howard Aikens uh, uh, had this opinion that, uh, that uh, we should build a uh, separate machine for, uh, for, uh, for business applications, separate machines for, uh, for numerical uh, calculations. So here I have a fribble, I have a, I have a sort of uh, 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 yeah, uh, fribble example here. You know, if, if Turing had not come up with, uh, with uh, his uh, strange idea of, of universal machines, computers might be like this. Okay? Do I really believe it? No, I don't believe it. Okay? But uh, I, I, believe, I believe there is no telling how much time would be wasted 
until people converge to the idea of a universal machine, okay, without Turing's influential idea of universality, okay? So uh, it's because of this, of, of his idea, I believe, that uh, uh, machines are, are, are uh, so powerful and universal today. I mean, no, incidentally, let me give you one, one little, one little uh, why universality is crucial. You know, is, is, is very, uh, uh, it's crucial for computation. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the great uh, ideas of computers. Universality, first of all, means software, right? That, that, that by, by importing, by uh, uh, loading the right piece of software, you can do anything you want. Universality also means flexibility. Okay, here's what I mean. Uh, I told you about the 1900 uh, speech of Hilbert. He gave this speech in Paris, where there was the World uh, Exhibition, the World Trade Exhibition. Uh, during this trade exhibition, among other things, uh, above all many innovations, the people, you know, there was the first time where television was, uh, was presented. Okay, television was uh, invented in 1900. Okay, for 50 years, uh, nobody had a TV set. Why is that? Because there was nothing to show. You know, you could, there was nothing to see. Okay. And why was there nothing to see? Because uh, nobody had a TV set. Okay, so nobody, nobody was 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 uh, uh, had an incentive to create uh, content. Uh, contrast this with the following: in the in the beginning of the 1990s, the web was invented. Okay. At that time, hundreds million uh, personal computers existed. And they would all start clicking immediately because they were universal. You see what I'm saying? So that's how the internet and the web exploded in months instead of centuries. Yes? It's interesting that a lot of the um, computers are getting more specialized now. So you have like gaming rigs. You do have games. You are right. Yes. And you have games and you have iPods. Yes. You are, you are, abso you are absolutely right. Yes. So, I mean, is that going to like hinder the development of, I mean, something I doubt it. I mean, no, it, no, this means that we have such embarrassment, we have reached to such embarrassment of riches, okay, that we can afford to do sort of little crazy things here and there, for, you know, to, to, uh, to exploit little pockets of, of, of interest. And, and uh, so, yes, no, you know, I, you know it, the, the true nature of computation is not, going to, is not threatened by this, okay, uh, not at all. Yeah, good question. Uh, so, uh, Finally, nine years after Turing, nine years, a world war during which uh, a lot of people uh, tried to build computers, both the Germans and, of course, uh, of course, uh, famously Turing at Bletchley Park. We are going to hear about this in the second part of this lecture, of this class. Uh, von Neumann uh, helped build the EDVAC, and most uh, importantly, Wrote, uh, von Neumann, by the way, had replaced Hilbert as the greatest mathematician of the time. Okay, so he was, he's, he was uh, probably by far the most gifted, uh, the most versatile mathematician of the 20th century. <coughs> he started an incredible number of fields. Uh, he was uh, very abstract. He was very practical. Uh, he started the computer. Okay, so uh, uh, the, it's no coincidence that the, that the computer is called von Neumann computer. Uh, he was uh, the one who uh, sort of uh, championed the stored program machine. Okay, Your stored program machine, of course, is 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 the, is, the, is the computer as we know it today. And uh, uh, what is really amazing is that 60 years later, there is so much 
of what he wrote in his report, uh, the, the, uh, the draft report on the uh, that is uh, that is true of the way we design computers even today. Uh, so let me let me tell you a few things about von Neumann. Uh, applying for 70 minutes is that what? Uh, so uh, eight, eight if you want. Till? So eight o'clock if you want, or a little after. Okay. Oh really? Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, I'm fine. Thank you. Um, okay, then, 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 then I'll slow down a little. Yeah. So, um, 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 all right. So, um, um, von Neumann uh, is uh, so I call him here Johnny Come Lately. I mean, you know, it's 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 very reverent. As I said, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 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 immensely <coughs> impressed by him. Uh, uh, he was uh, he was, you know, his mathematical genius was extremely penetrating. Uh, what he is really famous for, for having done it probably two dozen times in two dozen different fields, sort of completely changing them, is that he did not invent a problem, he did not invent an approach, but he looked at what somebody else had done with such penetrating intellect, with such mathematical talent, that he completely turned it around and uh, made uh, the, the uh, decisive contribution. Okay, and the interesting thing is that he tried to do this with with Gödel. Okay, von Neumann was present at the little conference where Gödel announced his result, his incompleteness theorem. And after that, he approached Gödel. In fact, um, for those of you who know Gödel's theorem, what is best known for is something called the Gödel numbers. Okay, it's arithmetization. It's it's uh, it's an element of the proof that is uh, very attractive and very influential. Uh, so the point is that uh, back then, Gödel's proof was much, much weaker than that. And it's because of a question that von Neumann asked him that Gödel came up with his more complete idea and his and the final form of his theorem. More importantly, uh, von Neumann uh, went back to, to Göttingen, uh, where he was at the time, and uh, thought and came up with something called the second incompleteness theorem. Uh, uh, which uh, is, uh, is another devastating result. It says the following, that uh, any mathematical system cannot prove itself correct. In other words, to prove a mathematical system correct, you must go outside this system. Okay? You cannot, in other words, no mathematical system can be introspective, can be powerful enough to prove itself correct. All these things seem so obvious now, okay? but back then it were, they were, they were uh, tremendous advances in mathematical thinking. Uh, so uh, von Neumann proved this and then he wrote to Gödel two months later telling him well I have improved your result tremendously I have this, this new great result Gödel told him he wrote back and said well I proved it too and in fact a week ago I submitted a paper on that I mean, so that's uh, Gödel congratulated him uh, sorry John, uh, John von Neumann congratulated him and, uh, and uh, uh, of course you cannot know with how much disappointed he did okay uh, the point is, the, the truth is that, uh, okay, another, another anecdotal story is that, another anecdote is that uh, he, von Neumann was present when Gödel announced his result. He was the only one who understood it, and he exclaimed, it's over. Okay? It's all over. That, uh, that, that Hilbert's quest is, uh, is all over. I don't know the German, the German <laughs> words he used. Uh, so, uh, uh, so, uh, uh, 
after this, after 1931, after Gödel's theorem, von Neumann did not work on logic. Not only that, not only stopped working on logic. He was he was one of the great uh, one of the great workers of Hilbert's project. Okay, he was working on logic. After that, he stopped working on logic. Logic being sort of you know the the, the field of mathematics of which Gödel's theorem is the greatest. <coughs> Not only that, but he made a point of not working in logic. Okay? He did not miss an opportunity to say or write that he's disinterested in logic. He's not interested in logic. Why? Because logic had disappointed him, so you know, he had the ambition of doing something that Gödel proved is impossible. Okay? Then he tried to sharpen Gödel's result to be anticipated by Gödel. Okay? So uh, it's, uh, it's historical truth that, that he, did not, he did not want to hear about logic uh, for the rest of his life. For example, here is a famous, a famous writing by von Neumann. Uh, in 1939, Turing is a student at Princeton, and von Neumann is a professor at Princeton. And Turing asks von Neumann to write a recommendation letter for him. And von Neumann, write, and this is a quotation, Turing has done good work on the theories of almost periodic function and of continuous groups. This means he's write, he writes a, a recommendation letter for a graduate student who is justly famous for having invented computation, okay? And uh, for having sort of, you know, sharpened Gödel's results, okay? Has written, has done some of the greatest uh, work on this century in logic. And he does not mention it, okay? He's, he mentions some sort of uh, apparently uh, not so interesting other work that Turing has done, okay? In order, in, and uh, and uh, <coughs> this shows some kind of pathological, uh, uh, in, my, you know, in my, my opinion, uh, this is an extreme case of, 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 of uh, suppression. Of suppression. Uh, also, von Neumann was definitely not uh, not the first person to, uh, to to try computers, uh, to, to try to build computers. Suze, uh, German, you probably know that from this class. Uh, th through eight years, he had built several computers, some of them electronic, some of them general purpose. Turing, uh, from 1941 and onwards, uh, had uh, built had uh, had. Uh, built uh, specialized computers and then general purpose computers. Uh, there was the Atanasov Berry computer in, in Iowa, uh, in Ames, uh, uh, during these uh, five years. Aiken himself, the quote I showed you before at Harvard, was building a computer at that time. Uh, von Neumann was not interested in computation at all. He considered it a part of, uh, of, uh, of uh, the logic that had uh, completely sort of uh, disappointed him and escaped him. Uh, and then, uh, it's, uh, it's sort of one of these uh, chance uh, encounters in history. Uh, when he was waiting uh, for a train at the Aberdeen, Maryland train station, he was uh, uh, approached by a, uh, in 1944, in August of 1944, he was approached by a, by a uh, mathematician, uh, Jonathan Goldstein, who was uh, then, uh, uh, a, uh, a, um, uh, I believe he was he was uh, he was uh, he was a captain in the U.S. Army, uh, and uh, and uh, Jonathan had heard of von Neumann, uh, knew his how he looked like. Von Neumann by then was fantastically famous and was had moved to Princeton. He was he was teaching uh, he was at, at the Institute for Advanced Studies with Einstein, uh, where Gödel was also by the way, and uh, Goldstein told him of uh, a project, a U.S. Army project, uh, that had to do with ballistic calculations, how to automate ballistic calculations. Ballistic calculations, of course, 
are uh, uh, very important for artillery and, 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 and uh, missiles, and therefore uh, it was important to do them right. Uh, and there were uh, and there are, there are, complica there are complicated uh, differential equations. Uh, to uh, to do this, uh, there was a project at UPenn, uh, headed by two engineers, two people, Ecker and Mochli, uh, uh, called the ENIAC. Okay, in order in order to uh, to uh, uh, solve this problem, to create a computer that solves this problem. And uh, uh, Goldstein uh, invited uh, uh, von Neumann to act as a consultant for this project. Uh, von Neumann did. Uh, he went there. Apparently, uh, he didn't spend an enormous amount of time uh, in, uh, at, at UPenn. Uh, but uh, uh, he spent enough time to create uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, division in the, in the group. Uh, there was uh, uh, there are accounts that uh, the the group of people who were designing the who were designing the ENIAC were split into two groups: uh, the logicians, quote unquote, headed by von Neumann, and the engineers. <coughs> so it's it's amazing that uh, that uh, that 15 years later we see von Neumann being called a logician. Okay, but I think he was called a logician not in a in a technical sense, as somebody working in mathematical logic, but uh, in a metaphorical sense, in a sort of in a more informal sense, uh, because his way of thinking was more uh, abstract uh, and more willing to sacrifice uh, 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 to sacrifice a sort of uh, efficiency, sort of tightness. Uh, uh, in order to implement uh, more general principles. Okay? So, for example, he was pushing for the general purpose, uh, uh, for the general purpose uh, uh, computer, the store program computer, and for the rigid uh, fetch uh, execute store cycle, okay? the, which, which are both now uh, very important uh, components of our computer, of, of uh, the uh, thinking in uh, computer architecture even today. Uh, so, uh, <coughs> after winning the argument, after forcing uh, Ecker and Mochley, who were the leaders of the group until then, with the help of Goldstein, who was the liaison with with uh, with uh, uh, the Department of Defense. Goldstein, incidentally, went on to become a famous uh, com uh, computer uh, researcher uh, at IBM. And, of course, uh, his career, uh, most of his career was uh, uh, sort of uh, as a lieutenant and, uh, of, of uh, von Neumann and promoter of von Neumann's uh, computer career. Uh, uh, and then, at the urging of, of Goldstein, von Neumann wrote uh, a momentous uh, paper, a document, called The First Draft of the Design of EDVAC. Uh, it's uh, the classic for computer design. Uh, it's one of these uh, documents that, uh, 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 that uh, when you read them, uh, you are amazed how 60 years ago somebody would have such... Uh, such discipline of thought, such foresight, such uh, such insight that uh, that uh, caught, got right uh, so many things, and of course got wrong a few others. Uh, and 
this uh, document uh, was never all stated draft. There was no second draft and there was no final document. Uh, and uh, at Goldstein's insistence, uh, it was distributed extremely widely. So it was, it was, it was mimeographed and distributed to the whole world. Okay? As a result, von uh, Neumann, of course, took credit as being the designer of Edward. Uh, there, were, there was no mention of other people in, 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 the, in, in, the, in this draft. Uh, and uh, uh, according to reports, Eckert Motley and Motley uh, missed an opportunity to, uh, to uh, patent the computer, the stored program computer. Okay, their plan was to, to patent the stored program computer and actually because it was then in view of uh, first von Neumann's uh, first draft uh, uh, being published, uh, it could not be published because the idea was now public domain. Okay, so uh, if uh, there is no, uh, there is no uh, 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 if there is no uh, uh, patent for the, if there has been no patent on the computer, that's probably we owe, we owe it to John von Neumann and to Goldstein and the first draft. Hey, Christos? Yes. This is sort of off the subject, but what was Goldstein's actual role? Years ago, I read this book called The Computer from Pascal to von Neumann. By, by Goldstein, yes. And it, it seemed mostly like, I mean, it was interesting, but a lot of it was uh, sort of, hey, and I was there too. Yes. So, um, so I mean, I, I think he's a respect, you know, you know I, I don't know much of his, about his career. I, I, I'm sure, I know that he's a respected uh, scientist for what he did uh, later. Uh, his role in this was, uh, he was probably very young at the time. He was, he was, he was, uh, he was a, 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 a captain, uh, so he was probably in his early 30s, uh, late 20s. Uh, and uh, his role was uh, one of uh, pushing von Neumann in the direction of, uh, of uh, uh, more uh, publicity, for his role in, in uh, you know, that's, 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 that's what I get from, uh, from, uh, from, uh, from uh, uh, reading between the lines. More publicity for von Neumann's role in, uh, in the design of the computer. Thanks. Yeah. He, he then, later, he, wa he worked uh, with von Neumann on uh, a project, a famous project, which uh, 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 for building the computer at the Institute for Advanced Studies, which is a very famous project. I mean, it, uh, it, uh, it, uh, uh, I even forget the, the name. I mean, but uh, uh, what nobody learns is that this was an utter failure. You know, the computer never ran. Okay, it, it never, it never, never actually ran uh, in any event. Uh, so uh, I want to spend a few uh, minutes on this. Uh, so I've told you the intellectual story. Uh, there is an incredibly painful human story going this. I mean, and, and beyond it, be, be behind behind these these faces. I mean, and there is. Uh, it's not because uh, uh, it's the beginning of the. It's the first half of the 20th century. Two very bloody wars and sort of periods of peace that are not much better. Uh, but uh, but uh, I mean, no, these fantastically clever people. Some of the best minds in the 20th century. I mean, when, uh, uh, when uh, the 20th century ended and, and, and the magazines like Time and The Economist uh, felt the need to, uh, to, to list uh, 
the greatest uh, minds of, of that century. Most of these people made it. I mean, uh, with the exception of Cantor, who was who didn't qualify because he was uh, 19th century. So, um, uh, so Georg Cantor uh, uh, lived. I mean, uh, he lived much of his life into, into, in and out of, of uh, mental hospitals, uh, treated for, for, uh, uh, for manic depression. Uh, he was probably pushed further into, into his mental, mental illness uh, by the fact that the mathematical establishment in Germany uh, did not recognize his contributions and actually, uh, in some cases, uh, fought them vehemently. Uh, he spent the rest of his life writing a magnum opus in which he was arguing that Shakespeare's plays were written by Francis Bacon. Uh, he stopped teaching, uh, and, and uh, he was in and out of hospitals uh, until he died in the, in the 1920s. David Hilbert was, was perfectly sane. Uh, uh, sort of, you know, it's amazing that both he, David Hilbert, and uh, another great hero of, of this story, which I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't mention here, Bertrand Russell, they both had uh, sons who were schizophrenic. Uh, Russell actually had lived all his life in fear of uh, madness, and, uh, and in fact he did have a schizophrenic son and uh, two schizophrenic grand grandchildren. Emil Post, whom uh, I mentioned to you as perhaps one of the, the most talented mathematicians in this bunch, uh, and of course the least recognized, uh, lived uh, uh, a very modest life as a school teacher and occasional college professor in New York City. Uh, he was also, I mean, oh, you don't believe this, but he died in 1952 out uh, during electroshock treatment oh. of his, of his uh, depression. So he was, he was, uh, uh, he was uh, deeply sort of, uh, he had a bad case of depression. Kurt Gödel had been, you know, the greatest logician since Aristotle, as he has been called, had been hospitalized on and off for paranoia. There is uh, the famous, I don't, I don't know how many of you know the famous, uh, he, was, he was a very, very, very uh, uh, strange person, uh, even for a mathematician, as I say, you know, so, so <laughs> was, uh, 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 there is the famous anecdote. Uh, at some point in the 1950s, uh, Gödel decided that uh, it's time that he gets, he becomes a U.S. citizen. Okay, he has been teaching for, at, at the Institute for Advanced Studies for a long time. And uh, so, he, back then, what you have to do is you have to uh, talk to a judge, uh, and you must have two witnesses. So, as his two witnesses, he chose uh, Einstein and Oscar Morgenstern. Okay, who, who, who are sorry, Oscar Morgenstern was the co-founder with von Neumann of game theory. Uh, so uh, they were driving together in Morgenstern's car to Trenton, uh, the three of them, and apparently they spent the whole trip with, uh, with Morgenstern and Einstein trying to convince Gödel that it is not a good idea to explain to, to the judge that he found in studying the U.S. Constitution some contradictions. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 uh, Gödel was saying, but no, that's his job. Maybe he wants to know. And I said, no, 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 I don't. <laughs> so von uh, um, Neumann was uh, was uh, definitely uh, uh, saying. Uh, uh, I don't know how, how many of you know. You know, he he died in 1950 in his in his in his early 50s. Uh, uh, of uh, bone cancer, 
probably uh, uh, some, uh, the result of his exposure to radiation. I don't know how many of you know, but besides being sort of, you know, such a mathematical giant, uh, he, uh, uh, he was behind uh, the Manhattan Project. He was one of the main, uh, main uh, people behind the Manhattan Project. He was actually personally responsible for the fat boy, the atomic bomb that burned Nagasaki. Uh, and immediately after the war, he became the, uh, the leader of, uh, of the Atomic Energy Commission, the, the chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission, until his death. And uh, he was uh, the mind behind the U.S. Uh, hydrogen bomb. So, uh, and he personally uh, 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 went to all tests, and, and, uh, and uh, uh, he died a few years later out of, out of, uh, of a rare form of cancer, which uh, people who know say that it's usually the result of exposure to radiation. Uh, Alan Turing, the last in my, in my page, uh, was uh, uh, in some sense the only regular, the only normal guy, you know, uh, except that he was not normal according to the, to the uh, British law at the time. Uh, he was homosexual and he was uh, handed to his death, essentially, uh, by uh, uh, Alan Turing, uh, uh, by the way, is... Uh, uh, a hero of the Second World War, you know, not a hero only of computation, but a hero. I mean, he, he, as you are going to see, I mean, he was, he was, uh, uh, he was His role was extremely central in breaking the, the Enigma code, uh, the Enigma machine, and uh, by implication to the to the Allied victory. So, uh, uh, eight, uh, six years later, an ungrateful uh, England. Uh, essentially killed him. He was, he was tried for homosexuality. Essentially, he was condemned to, uh, to um, uh, uh, pharmaceutical treatment uh, that uh, sort of led to, uh, to mind and body changes, and he took his own life uh, two years later. Okay, so let's, uh, let's talk about something more uh, pleasant. Uh, uh, okay, so... Uh, uh, <coughs> I want to tell you what happened in the, in the mathematics of computation after uh, the computer. So Turing was uh, very interested in finding limits of computation. And uh, he was uh, interested in the dichotomy between algorithms and uh, problems that have algorithms and problems that don't have algorithms. Okay? Why? Because uh, there were no computers when he was thinking. After computers came about, it became clear that there was uh, another line of demarcation between uh, problems. And that's between problems that can be solved efficiently and problems that cannot be solved efficiently. So some problems can be solved in polynomial time, as it's called. In other words, if you want to, to solve a problem with n, uh, uh, of size n, you have, to, you, have a you have a computer that will run for time proportional to n, or n log n, or n square, or n cube. Others, like the travel incessant problem, which you might have heard, or Boolean satisfiability, apparently cannot be solved because they require, they seem to require exponential search. In order to solve these problems, you must look at a vast uh, uh, 
uh, vast uh, set of solutions. And uh, you cannot use intelligent search to sort of search between them and, and, and narrow down to the right answer. And this is very important dichotomy. I mean, oh, we don't care if a, if a, if a problem has, a, has an algorithm if this algorithm is exponential. Okay? The real dichotomy is not between unsolvable problems and solvable problems that, as Turing thought, before, before the invention of the computer, but as we sort of ex experience with the computer was accumulating, we realize that the real dichotomy is between exponential and polynomial. Okay? And this dichotomy, remarkably, was first pointed out in writing by von Neumann, and then by several other people, including <coughs> Jack Edmonds and Alan Cobham. Uh, then, uh, so let me tell you why this is, uh, why this is, uh, uh, it's not just a mathematical, uh, a mathematical fine distinction, but it is real, okay? It is very, very crucial, okay? Uh, the history of computation since 1946 essentially has been Moore's law, the history of Moore's law, okay? This is, if, uh, if computation is, uh, is sort of, uh, is, uh, uh, is a song, so you know, Moore's law is the drummer, okay, the, the, the beat, okay? And, uh, and uh, it's, uh, it, uh, it has been, uh, it has been uh, dropping, uh, drumming relentlessly, so you know, it, this exponential, uh, so the phase of computation today, the nature of computation, <coughs> influenced deeply by this strange fact, by this strange exponential fact that, uh, that, uh, that uh, computer speed is doubled every year and a half, and, uh, and computer cost <coughs> is halved every year and a half. Uh, so uh, my point is this, that the in order for Moore's law to have any effect, it needs polynomial algorithms. It needs efficient algorithms. Let me explain why. Suppose that we have an exponential algorithm, 2 to the n. So here are the numbers. And suppose that you want to run your computer for an hour. Back in 1956, you would be able to solve a problem of size n equals 15. In 66, it will go up to 23. In 76, to 31. In 86, in 38. In 96, in 45. In 2006, in 53. Quite a bit of progress. I mean, a factor of three in these 50 years. But my point is, it's not enough, okay? In other words, you have to wait. In order to get an extra one to, from n to become n plus one, you have to wait a year and a half, okay? Our appetite grows much, much faster, okay? And I have used the problem satisfiability here, which is, you know, most of the applications of this problem are in the computer industry, okay? So the, the appetite grows exponentially, okay? And this is uh, just, uh, just uh, extremely slow uh, uh, growth. But here is the point. If you have a fast algorithm, you have an exponential increase. Even if you have a, a, an algorithm which, which runs in n to the third, okay, every decade you get a new factor of five. So from 56 to 2006, we will be up five to the fifth, which is uh, I don't know, uh, three thousand. 
Okay? So you see my point? A factor of 3,000. So my point is this, that Moore's law is smooth without such algorithm. Okay? And, uh, and uh, so this distinction between polynomial algorithms and, and exponential algorithms is a very, very important. Okay? And uh, uh, so... Hey, Christos? Yes? It would be good to wrap by about 10.2, if that works, okay? 10.2, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no problem. Thanks. I just saw you looking at your watch. Okay, right, right, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, in fact, I think I'll wrap up uh, a little before then. Uh, so, what... Uh, what uh, happened then, uh, after people observed this dichotomy okay, between polynomial algorithms and exponential algorithms, we have been able to, uh, uh, the three great researchers in computer science, uh, one of them uh, here, uh, Cook, Karp, Levin, between 71 and 73. I think two of them could have been there, Christos. Good point. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, uh, yeah, so Ed, uh, Ed is uh, referring to um, uh, Steve Cook's uh, uh, leaving Berkeley just before, you know, so, so he, you know, the, the, his empty completeness paper was, uh, was written on Toronto stationery uh, for a difference of months, okay, so that's um, uh, the reason being that Berkeley was uh, not hospitable enough to him. So, uh, in any event, uh, efficiently solvable problem, that's something that we call P, okay? I'm sure that all of you have heard this, this P issue equals MP, okay? It's, it's one of the great problems in mathematics, in science. Uh, if you solve it, you get a million dollars, all, the, all, the, all, the, all this. <coughs> problems that, require, that's, that can be solved by exponential search are called NP. And the key inside of these three people is that many common problems capture the full power of exponential search. In other words, there are some problems that capture, condense all power, the power of exponential search in such a way that if you could solve these problems in polynomial time, then all problems that require exponential search would be doable efficiently, uh, which would be such a great advance that seems incredible. Okay, and few people believe it. Uh, MP completeness. Uh, I want to argue could be the most influential intellectual export of computer science. Okay. Uh, there are uh, scientists or mathematicians or even social scientists uh, who, for whom MP-completeness is everything they know, all they know about what we have been doing over the past 60 years. Uh, I did a search on Google Scholar. Uh, the, the keyword MP-complete if you add its, its, uh, its variants, MP-hard, uh, MP-completeness, and so on, is uh, one of the most common keywords uh, uh, in, uh, in all of computer science. Uh, 
okay? Almost as common as, uh, as, uh, as operating systems. Uh, uh, more so than uh, uh, learning and databases. Okay? Uh, it's, uh, it has, uh, it has uh, so I guess I repeat what I said before, that uh, to my mind, MP completeness may be the chief, the most important intellectual export, I don't know how else to call it, of computer science, that, that this is what, uh, also, the next bullet, P and P, this is the question of whether MP-complete problems are really hard. We have not proved it yet, okay? And in some sense, we are lucky we didn't prove it, because, because if we had proved it, proved it, it wouldn't be so famous, okay? It's, uh, it's a such a famous problem that everybody knows about, you know, that, 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 that has, done, has done our, has done our, 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 our field good, I think. Uh, and uh, uh, it's now, you know, what is the, you know, what is the, what is the, what is the greatest uh, uh, complement in this arena? Uh, mathematicians claim it as their own. Okay, so, so when you, when you ask what is, what is the, what are the greatest open problems in mathematics? P equals MP, P, P versus MP is, uh, is, uh, comes up uh, on top. Uh, and, uh, okay. Question. Uh, does this, th does this, um, uh, this um, modern, ep modern epic of, uh, more modern, I mean, it's, it's by now 35 years old, epic of, of P and of MP completeness, uh, all intellectual debt to Gödel and Turing. Uh, okay, so, uh, here is sort of, you know, an argument, I, I believe so. Uh, first of all, I'll talk about negative results. What, ne what is a negative result? By negative result, I mean the following. In as engineers, computer scientists are interested in positive results. They are interested in achieving something, building a chip, uh, writing a program, uh, designing an algorithm. Uh, sometimes, it's the nature of our, of our field this way, we have to prove a negative result. Negative result means establish that something is impossible. Okay? In some sense, uh, computer science is about uh, is about exploring the power and limitations of computation. Okay? Uh, and negative results, of which uh, MP-completeness is, uh, is the greatest exemplar, are an important intellectual tradition of computer science. If you ask me, what is the element that... Uh, that uh, uh, what is, what is the, the intellectual contribution of computer scientists that, ma that makes it, may, that puts it apart from any other science? I would say it's negative results, okay? Other scientists, sciences have negative results. For example, in thermodynamics, there's something called uh, uh, Cournot's theorem. So, you know, that, 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 uh, the, a, machine, a particular machine cannot be, you know, it's, I guess, the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, you have Heisenberg's principle in physics. But my point is that these are isolated results, okay? In computer science, we have a full-fledged intellectual tradition 
for negative or negative results, which is uh, found nowhere else in science except for logic. Okay, and that's why I'm saying that it, that, that 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 there is some intellectual some some uh, uh, debt on there. Uh, and uh, the incompleteness theorem and Turing's uh, holding problem are the archetypical negative result. And then, in 1992, uh, people discovered a letter that Goethe had written in, 19, in 1956, uh, full 36 years earlier. And I, and I repeat, 15 years before MP completeness. Uh, he wrote it, this is the letter. Uh, uh, he handwritten in German to von Neumann. Uh, von Neumann had, uh, was in the hospital dying, and in fact, uh, uh, there is uh, uh, an interesting, an interesting, uh, uh, jo you know, John von Neumann's uh, biographer, uh, whose name is Macre, uh, uh, and has has a, has a, you know has a very telling way of you know who is. Frankly, to my mind, more uh, hagiographer than biographer. So you know, he's a little too impressed with his subject uh, uh, to write to write a good biography. Uh, uh, writes the following about about uh, and I'm paraphrasing about about uh, von Neumann's last days. Uh, uh, and uh, all the, some of the greatest scientists in the world were sending uh, von Neumann. Uh, little notes of, of sympathy and, 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 uh, and uh, solidarity for his, for his uh, ordeal, uh, uh, with uh, little notes of, 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 of uh, sweet uh, words, except for this Gödel guy <laughs> who wrote him this uh, sort of uh, incomprehensible mathematical garbage. Okay, so, um, uh, uh, so uh, you can find this uh, uh, translation. It's uh, translated. It's the following. Uh, let's recall what uh, what Hilbert's quest was. Uh, uh, Hilbert was proposing a machine, that's the blue thing, so that if you put axioms in a particular conjecture theorem, it always says yes or no. Yes, the theorem is true. No, the, the theorem is not true. <coughs> now. Turing's work erased this hope. Okay, that's not possible. All right, that's we, we already seen that. Gödel had a different idea, a much more uh, modest and less ambitious idea. Suppose again that we give a machine axioms and an axiom, uh, some axioms and a conjecture, and then we are asking the following. If there is a proof of length n, if there is a proof of this conjecture from these axioms, it finds it in time k to the n. Okay? It, uh, k to the n means exponential in n. So it finds it in some exponential <coughs> And this can be done. This can be done by sort of a way of which I hinted at the beginning, exhaustively, by looking at all proofs. That's how many proofs of length n there are. Therefore, you can look at them all and decide if any of them proves your theorem. This is trivial. So, what Gödel, what Gödel proposed, what Gödel asked for Neumann in 1956, can this be done in time n? In other words, can we discover a proof in time proportional to its length? 
or even quadratic to its length. This would still trivialize mathematics. Because imagine the following, I mean, you know, the, 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 the scenario that, that, uh, that, that Gödel uh, uh, ingeniously conceived is the following. Imagine that there was a way to take a mathematical conjecture, sort of, you know, some, a problem that people have been working for decades to solve, like the peak once a problem, submit it to a machine, <coughs> let it compute for a month, or a day, or something, long enough time, and after that, you can claim the following. You can authoritatively declare that this theorem might be true. This theorem might have a proof. But if this proof exists, it would require roughly more than a, more than a couple of thousand pages. Okay? Because we have looked at all proofs up to that length. Okay? That would still trivialize mathematics. Uh, and uh, and uh, uh, that's precisely the P versus MP problem. So it's amazing that 15 years before its, its very explicit statement, that 10 years before its first anticipation, <coughs> Gödel, in this letter to von Neumann, so you know, uh, correspondence between two heroes of this story, uh, articulated the P equals MP problem. And uh, contrary to conventional wisdom uh, nowadays, uh, uh, Gödel seems to be optimistic about it. It seems that it might be the case that P equals MP. In conclusion, uh, uh, I, what I argued <coughs> is that uh, among the many other uh, uh, great thinkers and, and engineers who anticipated uh, uh, computers, uh, we should count uh, the mathematical uh, current, uh, how Hilbert's foundation quest and logic and the incompleteness theorems of, of Gödel uh, started uh, what I call an intellectual Rube Goldberg. Uh, you know, these uh, contraptions that, uh, that uh, in a very indirect way uh, lead to, and sometimes funny way, lead to the, to the desired result. Uh, that eventually led us to the computer. And uh, some of the most important uh, and fundamental concepts in today's computer science, <coughs> including P versus MP, uh, owe an explicit debt to this transition. Uh, let me. Uh, so, this is uh, uh, something I'm, I'm, I've been working on for too long to, uh, to admit. Um, it's, uh, it's a book uh, that essentially tells this story. It's uh, a graphic novel. Uh, title is Logicomics. I write it with, uh, with uh, uh, my friend uh, uh, Apostol Doxiadis. And, uh, and uh, uh, this is uh, a little page from Logicomics. You can see that Apostolos is on the left. Not the dog, okay? The, the <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Alekos, uh, the, 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 the chief designer, the, the chief artist, uh, has his back turned to us. Uh, so, thank you very much. Let's see, we got questions. How about San Diego? Anything from down there?
Yes, so I have a question. About uh, turn of the century, you wrote a paper where you outlined many of what you would believe to be foundational problems for the next 50 years in computer science. Uh, do you still think that those problems are foundational, or do you have new problems? And do you think that these are, are as do you think that these problems are as important as the ones that were were laid out by Hilbert 100 years earlier? Um, I'm, you know, I'm thinking very hard. I cannot. I, I, I don't know which paper you're talking about. Oh, algorithm games and the internet. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Of course, of course. Yes, yes, yes. Right. So uh, listen. I mean, no, it, it, uh, you know, uh, I. Uh, okay. I think. Yeah. Uh, the scope is completely. You know, the, the scope and ambition is completely different. I mean, of, uh, and, and of course uh, the executor. I mean, of, uh, Hilbert was uh, was a giant who was sort of. Uh, uh, <coughs> Talking first of all about a huge field, all of mathematics, and uh, and uh, and uh, uh, actually history proves him right because you know sometimes of course great thinkers have a way to uh, to move history in their in their you know in, in, in their way. Uh, so uh, if you look at 20th century mathematics, uh, uh, it was basically it was pres presaged at uh, at uh, that talk. Okay. The, his 23 problems were the ones that people worked on. So uh, it's true. Uh, so you know, also the big difference between the two of us, okay, besides sort of intellectual size, is that is that is that uh, is that uh, Hilbert was very explicit. Okay, that uh, I'm saying that a new century starts. Uh, why don't you guys look at these problems? Okay. Uh, so. Um, uh, I don't think that uh, there was any millennial uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, each in my paper. Okay, so you know, it, it, you know, the the the, uh, the occasion was uh, sort of you know that uh, that uh, a lot of people had realized uh, that uh, that uh, uh, first of all we have studied you know we have studied for a long time the von Neumann computer. We had another great artifact that we have to understand. And that's the internet, so you know, and the web, uh, and that uh, the uh, that the uh, ways we knew we had had you know the, that that the, the methods and the, and the and the tools that we have used in the in the study of the computer uh, were uh, wanting. So you know, in the face, you know, when when uh, uh, you know. When uh, uh, put to test uh, to, uh, to in understanding the internet, and so you know, and I also find that uh, game theory and game theoretic game theory, in other words, strategic behavior, selfishness, and uh, algorithmic thinking were uh, very important in understanding this thing. So uh, I'm, I'm I feel very uh, you know it, it, it's a great compliment that you made me, but uh, but. Uh, but uh, yeah, there, there is a huge uh, difference in both uh, uh, nature, uh, scope uh, uh, between between the two. Yeah. Thank you. War from San Diego. In the way, by the way, I, I do stand yeah, to answer the, your, your first half, half of your question. Yes, I do stand. Uh, I do think that uh, seven years, six years later, uh, 
people have worked on these problems and they are some of the most interesting, uh, this is a, a very interesting genre of problems uh, for uh, computer scientists to work on. Looks like we're done, Ed. Okay, Microsoft. Anything up here? Go ahead, shout um, it up. So this is sort of a both looking back and looking forward in that uh, the field of computational theory developed out of mathematics. And in fact, even today, a lot of uh, computational theorists have appointments in the math department at universities. Do you see this going closer over time in the, to the future, or do you see it growing apart? Um, so, um, from where I sit, I mean, I have a, a little different view. Uh, there are a lot of great computational theorists who have appointments in mathematics, but uh, much more common, uh, commonly, I would say 90-95% of the cases, uh, computational theorists sit uh, as a sort of uh, loyal, productive uh, members of the computer science department, okay, and they contribute to the intellectual atmosphere uh, and the <coughs> Uh, of uh, computer science departments, and uh, they espouse, understand, and 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 uh, and, uh, and champion uh, the sort of general computer science uh, intellectual agenda. Uh, and of course, they uh, influence it, uh, you know, as uh, as uh, computer sciences mathematical thinkers. Okay, uh, but uh, uh, the great ma vast majority of us. Uh, uh, cannot conceive uh, uh, living anywhere else but embedded so, you know, in a computer science department where uh, we get uh, our uh, uh, problems uh, and uh, solu our solutions. Yeah, so, uh, so it, you know, it's... Uh, 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 and if anything, over the past uh, a decade and a half, I see much more convergence and much more sort of mutual respect between uh, sort of uh, <coughs> theoreticians, you know, computational theorists, and 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 uh, and uh, 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 the uh, other more or less mathematically oriented uh, colleagues in the computer science department. So I mean, I don't know if if, if I answered your question. So you know, in some sense, I you know, I. I've, I feel unfortunately that I may have uh, I may have uh, 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 eluded your question, but but no I no I haven't. I mean, you know, this is really what I think. I mean, you know, that uh, that uh, that uh, uh, you know yes. I mean, you know, there is some. I mean, you know, when I introduce when, when I try to explain to, to to other scientists what I do, I have to tell them that functionally I'm a, I'm a mathematician. That I prove theorems, uh, but. Uh, I prove theorems not about geometry, not about numbers, not about topology, but I prove theorems about computation. Okay, I prove theorems about what computers can and cannot do. So, uh, so this makes me, I think, a computer scientist. Yeah. No, no question. So, I'll just do mathematics have a huge impact on computer science. What do you think is the hugest impact on mathematics that the computers have? Oh. Uh, Without, uh, you know, without, uh, without question. I mean, so I could tell you that the peak or SMP problem is, all right? But, uh, but no, I think without question. Uh, a, 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 a fantastically great number 
of, uh, of, uh, of uh, brilliant mathematicians are using computer as a tool, okay? That, uh, that they, uh, they gain uh, insights. They don't always say it, I mean, or they don't always write in their papers because you know, they don't have to, I mean, no, but, but, but they, they, uh, they gain uh, insights by sort of by experimenting and by sort of, you know, running uh, mathematical software, I mean, you know, but even sort of, you know, writing programs that, that, that do particular experiments. It's, uh, so fast computers have been sort of, you know, the greatest gift uh, to, to mathematicians. Okay, they, they, there is, uh, there, you know, mathematicians of every color and in every field do that. So let me twist that question a little bit. If you look at biology today, for example, there, there clearly has been an intellectual transfer. That is, looking at biology as an information science, which is different than the use of high-speed computing in biology, which is another thing that goes on. Are there... There must be instances of that in mathematics, in addition to things like people's envy. So, you know, so totally agree. So, so let's uh, let me put let me let me say it this way. So you know that uh, that computers have changed the world. Uh, computers have also changed science. Uh, and uh, and uh, back in the late 90s, there was uh, there was uh, there was a New York City, the, the New York Times article whose title was, Today, All of Science is Computer Science. I mean, so it was sort of a tongue-in-cheek thing. I mean, you know, the, uh, a science writer at, at, at the New York Times observed that all Nobel Prizes that year were given to people who were somehow computational. Okay. So, computers change sciences in two ways. One is, they, uh, they, they tool them, okay? They, 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 are, they are invaluable tools, okay? And in fact, the use of these tools sometimes changes completely, transforms completely the nature of the science. But more profoundly, uh, uh, computers, uh, exactly as Ed, uh, as Ed Lazowska uh, mentioned, uh, change sciences uh, because uh, they compel them to look at their subjects through what can be called the computational lens. Okay, the try to look at you know the, once once you have applied comp enough computers to, to solve your problems, you start looking at your problem through the lens of computation. Okay, which uh, transforms the scientific problem you have been working on in uh, sort of uh, in deep ways, and uh, this is something that we see. Uh, in biology, in physics, for example, sort of you know quantum uh, computing being uh, one way in which in which uh, in which one particular sort of particularly strong computational lens, whereby physicists are reconsidering the most fundamental, the most basic theory of their science. Uh, mathematics, I, which was uh, Ed's original question, I I, would, I say that the p versus p problem. Is, uh, is, 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 is the most uh, important exemplar, but everywhere, everywhere in mathematics, you see computational issues uh, 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 surfacing. And uh, last but not least, I would like to mention that social science, certainly economics, but also sociology, uh, seems to have uh, caught in the bug, caught the bug, and, and, and they are also profoundly, I believe, and we're going to see more and more of this, transformed by computation. Great, thanks. Steve, anything down there? Yeah, I have a question about, um, for a long time the Russians kept pretty much on par with a lot of our coding, um, and we had the more powerful supercomputers. 
to what extent do you think it was basically their aptitude to be able to solve algorithms uh, at, a, at a pretty sophisticated level that kind of kept that that at, at bay? It's interesting, uh, is it? Yeah, that, um, okay, so, um, so there are, uh, so, um, uh, <coughs> so a lot of people believe that computers had a lot to do with 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 uh, with what happened in, in how the Cold War ended. Uh, uh, but you are right in the following sense that uh, you, what you are saying, I guess, is that it didn't come as soon, okay, as one would have imagined, uh, given the huge disparity in in in, in, in the computational advances. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, uh, there was, uh, you know, sort of, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, when, when you, when you are, when you are, when you are weak in something, sort of, you know, other, other things become stronger, right? I mean, so for example, uh, uh, in uh, so the Soviets had uh, had uh, great mathematicians, okay, uh, and uh, and uh, these mathematicians were not sort of spoiled by the computers, okay? So so they kept their analytical skills, sort of, you know. Uh, on their toes, so that they could sort of, you know, uh, their first when they see an equation, their first their first uh, reaction was not was not uh, uh, to uh, code it up and see what happens, but for, you know to see if they can find cross-form <laughs> solutions. Okay, and occasionally they did. All right, and that was that was that was uh, that was uh, a better advance than solve, solving it numerically. All right, so uh, so a few uh, you know a few instances like that happened. Also, they did. They were very, you know, they had, they had, they did discover very, very fast algorithms that, uh, that, uh, that, um, uh, uh, very clever fast algorithms that, uh, in some cases, I guess, uh, must have, uh, must have uh, moderated the impact of, uh, of, uh, of uh, faster uh, Western hardware. Because yeah, I mean, you show the two curves, so basically. Uh, Moore's law is exponential, right. but, but the other one's even accelerating at a faster. Right, that's right. I mean, so I, I guess, I guess the way I should say, uh, say it is that is that when uh, when it comes to efficient algorithms, sort of you know the 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 things are you know the the, the tables are turned, that exponential algorithms uh, result in linear growth of the size that you can solve, whereas polynomial algorithms result in exponential growth of the size that you can solve, okay? So, so another way of getting Moore's law, you know, is to, is to have efficient algorithms. And in several crucial ways, uh, the Soviets did do that. But, but I mean, you know, the, I guess the role of computation in, in, in their defeat in, 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 the, in the Cold War was perhaps a little more subtle, okay? That, uh, that, uh, 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 in the West, the computers led to the information society, uh, uh, and uh, the Soviets had deliberately uh, uh, kept that from happening. All right. Anything else? Uh, Christos, thank you very much. Fantastic. Thank you.